Welcome to North Liberty Library's Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast, a series of universal talks gently guided by open hearts and open minds. Listen to ignite the light in you and to appreciate the light in others. Hello, I'm Kelly with North Liberty Library, and I thank you for joining us today on Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast. You can also catch Love, Light, and Lit on Facebook Live every Monday at 12 noon Central Time. Be sure to follow North Liberty Library on Facebook to get notifications. Being a writer in and of itself is a challenging feat. However, when you add career and children to the mix, writing may seem nearly impossible. As someone who has accomplished the task of being a working writer, as most writers are, let's face it, I feel a kinship with today's guest. April Clark's original fiction has appeared in Confrontation Magazine and post-secondary textbooks for Heinle and Heinle Thompson Learning. She has also written and produced many works of theater, music, and multimedia. April holds a BA in Spanish from the University of Iowa and an MFA in Comparative Literature Translation from the University of Iowa's Translation Workshop. She has worked as a translator, interpreter, teacher, instructional technology consultant, simulated patient, and has volunteered with community organizations. April lives in Iowa City with her spouse and children. Today, April's going to chat with us about her literary journey, the ups and downs of the writer's life, and what managing her professional and creative worlds feels like while being a partner and parent in her family. Welcome, April. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Kelly. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. It's so good to have you on the podcast. Now, before we talk about your debut novel, The Case of Elena and All That Went Wrong, please share with the audience how your journey toward authorship began. Well, I've been writing my whole life, ever since I was a little kid, both fiction and nonfiction, through school and just recreationally on my own. I set a goal for myself to write my first novel before I turned 30, which I did accomplish. It's still on my computer somewhere. But then, not too long after that, I had my first baby. And as you surely understand, that kind of changes your priorities about how much time and energy you're willing to expend on anything besides survival. Mm -hmm. So I kind of let that sit. I didn't work too hard on trying to get it published or anything. And I haven't looked at it in years. (laughs) But as I then went on to have two more kids, and as they started to get a little older, I finally found some more free time to write some things. Mm -hmm. So I got this book together and, again, over a period of years, found the time and energy to work on marketing it, finding a publisher and now doing publicity for it. I'm holding your book right now, and you describe this novel as being in the vein of the classic Simpsons episode, 22 short films about Springfield, as well as Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad. What other genres or titles influenced your novel? Now those two that you just mentioned really influenced the form. A friend described it as a novel in stories because each of the chapters could stand alone as an individual story. And for a while, I was trying to market it to journals like that individually. But I really feel like they best work together. If you read all of them, characters overlap and plot lines overlap. And that's kind of the same thing that happens in that Simpsons episode and in the amazing Jennifer Egan novel, which has been a huge influence on me. She's a giant. 
But sometimes when you're watching something, you might see a secondary plot line or a small character and think, well, I wonder what his story is, or I wonder what her story is. And so I took the opportunity in this book to spin off and explore what that person's story is. Yeah, I think that really encapsulates the mind of the writer. Because even with my writing, and I like to think that some of my influences from my writing would be Terry McMillan. I write romance mainly. But it's that contemporary feel where you have these ensemble casts, and you have quite the ensemble. I mean, you have a map in yeah. your book <laughs> of the relationships between the dozen or so characters featured in this novel. So having those ensemble characters, how do you manage all those characters' lives? Well, I had to write my own map for myself, too, which was a lot more complicated than the one I that bet. ended up in I the bet. book. Yeah, but I guess I just tried to find a little something interesting that I wish I could have known more about that I didn't have time to address in character A's story and then spin that off into another story for character B. Because I just actually read your first book and I wondered, that character Roxy, she's got something to say. <laughs> and I wonder if maybe in, in later ones, we all learn more about Roxy. Does she ever come up again? Yes, <laughs> I know. I've always thought about that. And that's Lainey's, Lainey's, partner, Lainey's yeah. partner. And I've always wanted to write a little bit more about her because that's just how us writers work. We read, and especially when we read each other's work, we're like, hmm, I wonder what's going on with this character. Did you find that with your book that there were any characters that were the most challenging to write? Yes, absolutely. The character of Terrence, who's someone who comes up quite a lot, I would consider him one of the main characters of the book, and someone I feel really fond of. I really like him. But obviously, I am never going to know exactly what life is like for a black man growing up in America. That's simply not my experience. So what I tried to do was find ways to connect with him that I could relate more closely to. Mm -hmm. Like there's a story in which he's having a piano lesson with, a, I think she's about 12 at the time, the titular Elena. Mm -hmm. And she just thinks she knows everything as 12 year olds do. And I'm sure I thought I did when I was 12. Yeah, and she same. thinks she can just tell him <laughs> all about what white privilege means and what mm -hmm. race in America is all about. And she's on the right track, but she's probably a little insufferable. So I kind of poked fun of my own experiences that way and tried to connect to Terrence's character. And also another important relationship Terrence has is with his mother. And I know what it's like to be the mother of sons. I know what it's like to feel a little bit unclear about where my body ends and their bodies begin, to feel that closely tied to someone. And the changes that a woman's body goes through over her life, my changes weren't quite as extreme as Carolyn's changes. She goes through an entire body transplant in a kind of science fiction side of things. But Terrence's relationship with her was a way I could connect to him. And I want to speak to that, that you brought up, Carolyn, your melding of those two genres. And you find a lot in novels these days it's not just one genre. It's really this melding of genres. How did you bring together that science fiction part with those more contemporary storylines? How did you find intersections there when you were writing? Well, I thought about some of the art that I've really enjoyed over my life. Like, one of my very favorite movies from childhood was Joel Schumacher's The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. Yes. She's been a hero of mine for decades and decades. And that is just the story of a woman who's living her everyday life, living her everyday frustrations, and then all the chemicals in her environment make her start to shrink. Yes. And I, I borrowed that a little bit in one of the stories, mm -hmm. but it kind of goes in a different direction. Yes. And so I think 
that that was something that just inspired me, the idea of strange, sometimes wonderful, sometimes terrible things happening to people like they do every day, but make it a little bit more fun by making it a little bit magical and weird. Yes. And you know what? You and I, I think we're around the same age. So we grew up in the same, you know, that Gen X movie period, especially in the 80s, where a lot of those movies were that way. I mean, when you think about movies like Cocoon, Earth Girls Are Easy, it always has this contemporary element where something otherworldly happens that impacts those characters. So I think that's what I best like about this. Now, I'm sure there are writers listening, both active and potential writers, maybe some people who are just now curious about the journey of writing, that are listening to us and are interested in your writing process. Because as you know, as writers, that's something we get asked a lot. How do we write? What do we do? Do we take notes? Are we pantsers or planners? Could you please share a bit of what your writing process looks like? It seems like the books of how to be a writer always tell you to make two hours for yourself every day when you sit down and that's your writing time. That has never worked for me. Does that work for you? Absolutely not. No, no. So my approach is... And this has been over the course of my children being small, from babies to now teens. There are a lot of times as a parent when you just have to be there, but you don't have a lot of active tasks, like Mm -hmm. when you're trying to get the baby to fall asleep, or you're nursing, or you're out on a long walk. You know, there are a lot of times my brain can be very busy. So I would plot entire stories and entire relationships and entire characters during those times. And then... When I did find an hour, I would just write it all down. Yeah. And that's very first drafty. You obviously have to go yeah. back and And that's something that. we have to remember about first drafts. And this is for new and working writers. The first draft is supposed to be everything. It's basically you telling yourself your story. Has that been your experience? Oh, yes. Obviously, things need a lot of revision a lot of times. Sure. But I write so many drafts in my head first mm-hmm. before I ever even get them down on paper because that's just what worked in my life and my schedule. Yes. One thing I also, as far as my writing process is concerned, I always say, become good friends with your main characters. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe your relationship with Elena throughout your writing process with her? Now, it's not autobiographical. I don't think I am Elena. I think there are a lot of attributes she has that I find in myself, but there are also a lot of things that are different from me. And other characters I relate to in some ways, but not others. But I do agree that it's important to care about your character because if you don't care, nobody else is going to care. Correct, yes. You have to find good things and bad things about the character because that's how we all relate to each other. Nobody is perfect and nobody is pure evil, I don't think. So I think sometimes I would find Elena to be a little bit too passive. I think she gets pushed around by her friend too much, even though I really love her friend Heather too. So thinking about how she can grow and how maybe the influence of her mother Claire could empower her more. Yeah. Something we can all kind of look to. Absolutely. We're all looking to grow, and I think we all want our characters to grow. Absolutely. Now, one thing you did that I noticed when you answered that question, the first thing you said was, this is not autobiographical. And I can relate to that, too, because in my book, The Cougarette, when I created C.C. Banks, a lot of people asked me, (laughs) is this character based on you? So... Do you get asked that question quite a bit? What has been the response, especially from your family and friends, on this book, and in particular, the character Elena? Hmm. I don't think anybody has accused me of being Elena, of writing about myself. I think in part because of the science fiction elements. Sure. Like in your life, when 
CC is off having sexy adventures. I can see why people might think, oh, is she doing those fun yeah, things? Right. <laughs> but nobody actually thinks I'm stopping time or right, right, experiencing right, other right. people's DNA through water and blood. So Absolutely. that's a little escape hatch for me. But yeah, like I said, little elements are taken here and there from family and friends and things like that. But no one character is and equal to any one person in my life. Understood. All right. So now, another question that I often get as a writer, which I'm sure you get as a writer all the time, and especially for those out there who are working parents, who are also authors, how do you manage your writing schedule around your work and home lives? Oh, boy, that one's not easy. Not at all. Yeah. Mm -mm. Well, I already talked a little bit about how I get the actual writing done. But that, in my experience anyway, is the easy part. Well, easy is the wrong word. That's the fun part. Mm -hmm. Writing's not easy, but it's fun and it's satisfying when you actually reach a goal. But, boy, the marketing end of it, trying to sell it, trying to publish it, trying to promote it, that is the hard part. So that's what I really have to work hard to build a schedule for myself to do. Like When I was trying to find a publisher for this book... I set myself a goal of sending it to five different destinations, whether agents or journals or small publishers, five different destinations every month. That's what I could handle with the rest of the responsibilities I had with work and home and volunteering and all that. So I just found time. I made myself do it. And then once I had gotten my five per month done, I could check it off my list and not think about it again. Yeah. Because, boy, if you just work every day at that and then 80, 90, 99% of the time, all you get is a rejection, that's not very motivating. Yes. And querying, <laughs> it is really backbreaking work. I am independently published, but I've had a round or two of querying my novels and it can be a little debilitating. For those who are looking to go the traditional publisher route, what are your tips about surviving that querying phase? What are your thoughts and advice that you can offer to those, especially to writers who are currently querying? Well, for me, what worked was just to get that task done, get my five queries out, and then don't think about it again for the rest of the month. Because like I said, if you just do it all the time, all you're going to do is cry all the time. Yeah. Or you get so hardened that you don't care, and then maybe that's not so good either, because if you don't right. care, why bother? Yeah, and I think that's usually what happens one or two when authors are querying non-stop. It's just complete disappointment every time, and they wallow in it, or they become jaded to the industry, and it shows up in their writing, and it shows up in their writing habits. I've found, especially. So after this book, what else do you have coming up? I know I checked out your blog before here. Are you going to be doing any shows coming up in 2023? Are you working on something new? I've been working a little bit. I did have another project of writing that I was working on. But then when I started doing readings and publicity for this book, I had people saying, well, will you write a sequel? I want to find out what happens to this character, what happens to that character. And so now I'm thinking maybe that would be a fun direction to go. That was something that you got to do when you wrote a series, right? Or is your series still ongoing? I always come back. So Cougarette is six books. Mm -hmm. And I always say I wrote the first Cougarette book in 2014, I always say I do not remember the year 2015 because I spent that entire year writing the rest of that series. Mm -hmm. My readers love Cece, and I've even had her in some of my other series, like The Follow in that series. I even did a spinoff of Lainey in my novel, Savage. Oh, do we get to learn more about Roxy in that one? Oh, not so much. Oh, don't do spoilers. Okay, I'll just read it. (laughs) She's moved on a little bit. But that's what's so cool about writing these ensemble casts like we do, is that you find yourself becoming more interested in 
some of the other characters. So yes, I do feel like another Cougarette book would come out for me. It's just now one of the things about that is you have to go back and read yes. the first book yes. and really come back and try to take your perceptions of what that character should be doing and try to align with the story. That's where it gets a little shaky. Have you given thought about what that process will look like if you decide to do a sequel to this? Maybe, yeah. I thought a little bit about which characters I think need more exploration, which still have stories left to tell that I only got to touch on a little bit. Specifically in the epilogue to the book, one of the characters named Neil seems like he's about to launch off another adventure. So I would like to explore that a little further. Oh, so much fun. And like you said, writing is hard, but the process can be fun because you're really exploring these characters. And in a way, you're exploring yourself as a writer and as a human so this is great oh my goodness well april thank you so much for joining us today i'm confident our audience has gained a lot from this conversation especially those writers out there where can our listeners learn more about you and your work yes i have a website aprilclark.com that's a-p-r-i-l-l-e-c-l-a-r-k-e.com lots of extra e's in there and i'm doing a reading at prairie lights on thursday december 15th at 7 o'clock p.m so i would love to see you in downtown iowa city absolutely and we will put all of that in the show notes i will definitely be there because i want to check this out i'm about halfway through the book I absolutely love it. This will be on the shelves here at North Liberty Library. So definitely come and check it out. And of course, please check out April when she is at Prairie Lights on December 15th. And you can grab a copy of your own. Yes, it's available at Prairie Lights, at the Haunted Bookshop, at Amazon.com, on bookshop.org, all kinds of places like that. Fabulous. All right. Well, this is Kelly, and this has been Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast presented by the North Liberty Library. Today we talked with April Clark about her novel, The Case of Elena and All That Went Wrong, and how her writing and working worlds intersect. Check out our show notes from today's episode to find out more about her work and resources. Also, please visit our website at northlibertylibrary.org for additional programming and services. Thanks for listening.